Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we're going to get into the Word. Father God, thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your just unrelenting love for us. As messed up as we are, God, you have committed yourself to loving us, and we're so grateful for you. Lord, we do want to pray together for this panel discussion on Friday night. We would ask you, Holy Spirit, to use this. We, we give it to you, Lord, we just give it to you like as a I guess as a gift, as an offering, and we would say, Lord, would you just use this, this humble little gift that we offer? Use it, Lord, as an instrument in your hands to bring healing uh, to our culture in this time. Lord, we trust you. I pray now as we look into the Bible, would you teach us, Holy Spirit, help us to understand it? Would you make us men, women of honor? We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're with me, give it a loud amen from home so your neighbors can hear it. Ready? One, two, three. Amen. Yes. So last Sunday, um, we ended the message, if you recall, with a challenge. The challenge was this. You and I were to have one conversation, at least one conversation this week, with someone who was different than we are so that we could, in essence, begin to understand what it's like to be in one another's shoes. Kind of the question was basically this, hey, what's it like to be you? And then listen, just simply listen to one another. One of the things that we learned last week, you know, was that what's going on in our culture right now is really we're dehumanizing one another. We're reducing people down to a, a label or down to a hashtag. And, and we said that these conversations where you actually honor one another enough to listen to each other, that they are actually part of what God uses in order to rehumanize us, in order to bridge that gap and begin to bring healing. And one of the things that happens when you have these conversations is you begin to discover, hey, okay, so maybe we differ on this point or that point or that point, but but we're together on all these other points. And, and we discover you know, that we don't have to see eye to eye on everything in order to have unity. What we need to have unity is mutual respect and mutual honor for one another. That's what we need to have unity. And these kinds of conversations are a huge part of building that. As I shared last Sunday, one of the questions that is on my mind has been, God, what are you doing? Like, I know what the devil's doing. Like, that's obvious. That's as plain as day. He is working to divide us. You know, he's working to pit us against one another. I'm kind of reminded of Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. In the Bible, it says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So we want to heed that warning, don't we? But, so I know what the devil's doing. Like, that's obvious. He's trying to get us against one another. But what's 
God doing? That's the bigger and most important question. And as I've had numerous conversations over the last couple of weeks with various brothers and sisters of color, one of my brothers has mentioned that he believes that God is restoring honor in our culture. And that really resonated in my heart as he mentioned that. Because, you know, for decades, we have been sowing seeds of dishonor in our culture. And we are now reaping its ugly fruit. But you see, if we as the church of Jesus Christ, if we take our proper place, and if we live this out correctly, God is actually positioning his church in the culture. To, it, it, we're poised to be able to give this message of reconciliation to the culture. God actually, I believe our culture is actually poised now, maybe more than ever before, for this message of honor. We're ready to receive as a culture this message that we need to honor one another. And my friend, you, I, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, we have the awesome privilege to lay down our lives and bring this message to the world that's so desperately hungry for it. You know, I've been asked why I don't preach anti-racism uh, messages. And the answer is really simple. I don't believe that you solve sin by preaching against sin. I believe you solve sin by preaching the solution. Jesus Christ is the solution. Jesus is the one that our hearts are longing for. And when I look in the life of Jesus Christ, I, I see his example. And honestly, I can't think of one example in the life of Jesus where, where he actually preached against something specific. And there's only one that I can think of, and maybe you can find some others. So, hey, if this gets you to dig into your Bibles, that's awesome. But the one that I can think of is from Matthew chapter 23. It's the only one where Jesus explicitly preached against a particular sin, and he was preaching against the sin of hypocrisy. And, and perhaps the reason why he did that is because hypocrisy is the one sin that every single one of us shares. Every single one of us has been a hypocrite at some point on some level. And if you deny that fact, you're probably being a hypocrite right now. That's the irony of that sin. Ironically, the more we preach against particular sins, the bigger hypocrites we become. It's kind of like the Pharisees found themselves during Jesus' day. They had a long list of sins and things that they were against, and the list was so long, in fact, that by not committing this sin, they were committing that sin. Jesus highlighted that a few times. That's what happens when you focus on the sin. No, friends, we want to focus on the, on the solution. So what is the solution to racism? Well, it's a complex subject, and it's got a complex answer, but honor is definitely a part of the solution. And today is Father's Day, so Happy Father's Day, dads. A big shout out to you, dads. We love you. We honor you today, dads. We're grateful for you, for your ministry in your homes, in your ministry in our church, in your ministry in our community. We really do thank you for being men of honor. 
Um, and so on Father's Day, I, I like to preach kind of a man's message. And, and talking about honor, honor is definitely a man's subject. But don't get me wrong, ladies, you definitely benefit from this. Women, listen, you, you want to have a man of honor by your side, women, because a, if a man of honor is by your side, he will lay down his life for you. And if he will lay down his life for you, guess what, ladies? He'll be willing to live for you, too. So this message is actually beneficial for all of us. We all want to be men and women of honor. So let's talk about it today, okay? What we're going to do is this simple outline. We're going to just address three specific questions. We're going to talk about what is honor, who do we honor, how do we honor what is honor? Who do we honor? How do we honor? And then we're going to just show a, an illustration from the Bible that gives us an example of how to do it because there's just nothing like seeing it lived out, fleshed out in an actual human being. So we're going to end with an example from the Bible of honor. So let's dig in, okay? What is honor? Let's start there. What is it? Well, I looked it up. And it's a pretty big word. In fact, if you Google honor, you're going to find a number of websites that pop up that pertain specifically to men, which supports my earlier point that honor is kind of a man's thing. It's a man's topic. But to summarize all the information, it could basically be said like this. Honor has these two aspects to it. it it's, kind of, it's what I give, but it's what I receive. Honor is... Honor is valuing others for who they are intrinsically as someone made in the image of God. Like every, every single human being has been made, stamped with a thumbprint of God. And because of that, every human being has intrinsic, infinite value. So we honor that in one another to begin with. But then the second aspect of that is I honor the impact that that person has on my life because none of us is an island unto ourselves. We live in community with other people and our lives are constantly interacting with other people. And even people that we don't know are impacted by our lives. And I'm impacted by other people who I don't even know. It's just, it's part of living, you know, in a culture where we're with other people all the time. And so let me just illustrate it like this. Like for example, there's a teacher what does it mean to honor the teacher, your teacher? Well, you honor that person as a person. They have intrinsic value as someone made in the image of God. But that person also, we honor them for the role that they play in our society and in our lives in particular. They are a teacher. They instruct and they guide and they lead. Um, we honor civic leaders for the same reason. I honor them on this first level. They are valuable as individuals made in the image of God, but I also value them for the work that they do and the benefit that is mine as a result of their service to society. So you see how it has these two aspects? Even my neighbors, the people that I live with in my neighborhood, you know, I, I honor them as individuals made in the image of God, but I also honor them because, you know, it takes all of us to make a good neighborhood. It's not just my wife and I that make a good neighborhood. They're good neighbors, and I can honor them 
because of the things that they do as good neighbors. Does this make sense? When we honor, we're actually engaging in these, this kind of these two parts, valuing who they are and valuing the impact that they have on our lives. Now, the Bible gives us at least three different specific things that honor actually is. The first thing that honor is, is honor is a debt. You literally owe it to others to give them honor. Romans chapter 13, verse 7, it says this, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Notice, honor is a debt that we owe. None of us is exempt from paying it. The second thing, honor is a lifestyle. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18, the writer of Hebrews, it says this, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and we desire to live honorably in every way. See, we desire to live honorably in every way. In a sense, honor is a lifestyle. It's not just something that I do here, but I don't do there. It's not like I'm obligated to give honor here and I'm exempt to give honor there. Honor is just simply something that flows out of who I am. And this brings up the third point. Honor is a heart issue. God said this about the Israelites in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You see, they're giving lip service to honor. Oh, God, you're wonderful. Oh, God, you're great. Oh, God, you're fantastic. It's just flattery is all it is. At very best, lip service to honor, honoring a lip service is just flattery. It doesn't go any deeper than that. But honoring from the heart, it means that I honor you. I, I honor you for who you are. I honor you. It's not because you are doing something that's nice to me. You know, that's honor that's just lip service is I honor you as long as you're making me happy. But when you stop making me happy, well, then I'm not going to honor you anymore. And that's not the heart of honor. Honor is something that flows out of who I am. It's something literally that I give to other people. Honor is not something that other people earn. It's actually flows from who I am to other people. Pastor Craig Groeschel puts it this way. Uh, Craig is the pastor at Life Church in Oklahoma. He's written a few books. He's a really great, great pastor, and I, uh, I like a lot of the stuff that he says. But he says this. He says, respect is earned, but honor is a gift you give freely. Honor is a gift you give freely. In other words, the way that I honor others Check this out. The way that I honor others is a reflection of my character, not theirs. Let me say that again. The way that I honor others is a reflection of my character, not theirs. You see, honor is something that I give to others. It flows out of the depths of who I am. So that's what honor is. Who do we honor? Who do we honor? Well, the Bible gives a pretty long list, and we're not going to read every verse. But here it comes. It's up on the, um, it's up on the slide there. Uh, let me just read them. First, you honor God. 
This is found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Maybe you want to write these down and look them up later. That'd be great. Second, we honor parents. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Third, we honor the elderly. Leviticus 19:32. Next, we honor one another. Romans 12, verse 20. Verse 10, rather. 12, 10. We honor employers. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. We honor spiritual leaders, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. And we honor civil servants, Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. In short, we honor everyone. <laughs> That's the bottom line. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, it says it plainly. Show res proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let me just double back for a second because I, I want to talk for a minute about honoring our parents because in a sense, that really is the bedrock of what we're talking about. Like, we learn how to honor other people actually by honoring our parents. If you think about it, our parents is the very first relationship that every one of us ever has. On top, we, we add other friendships through our lifetime, but we begin there. And so honoring our parents is actually where we begin learning how to honor other people. Um, if you go to Exodus chapter 20, that's where the Ten Commandments are listed. And if you remember last year, we actually preached a whole series on the Ten Commandments, and you can probably still find it on our website in the archives. But the first four of the Ten Commandments all pertain to honoring God. You have no other gods before me. You make uh, no idols. You um, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And you um, honor the Sabbaths. All four of those had to do with honoring God. And then from the fifth commandment to the tenth commandment, the last six, those pertain to honoring one another. And the way that we often break it down is the two greatest commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. That's the ten commandments. Honor God, the first four, and then the latter six have to do with loving your neighbor, honoring your neighbors. But it begins with the fifth command, which is the command to honor your father and your mother. Here's what Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, a lot of people read this and they say, they note the promise. See, this is the first commandment that God gives with a promise. Live long. But the promise is not that you would have long life if you honor your father and mother. Note the command is very specific. The promise is that if you honor your father and mother, you'll live long in the land that I am giving you. In other words, this is a promise to their society that you as a society will enjoy long life as long as you keep this as the bedrock of your society. Children, honor parents. This is the very first building block to a healthy society. That's the promise. Honor your father and your mother. In other words, if you can't learn how to honor your parents, you're going to struggle to honor anybody else in your life. And you notice something, that the Bible does not tell children to love their parents. We're commanded 
to love all kinds of people. We're commanded to love one another. You're commanded to love your neighbor. You're commanded to love strangers. We're commanded to even love our enemies. But there's no Bible verse that says, thou shalt love your mom and dad. However, the scripture does plainly tell us to honor our father and our mother. I wonder why that is. Remember something, that when you honor someone, you're acknowledging their value. So I'm acknowledging that my parents have value because they are made in the image of God. But the second part of honoring is I acknowledge that they have value to me. They are valuable to me. And you go, well, I had lousy parents. And maybe you did. Maybe your parents were terrible parents. But there's at the very least we can acknowledge that your mom and dad are valuable to you because they gave you life. Like that's, that's the very least that we can acknowledge. And I, I pray certainly that your mom and dad were much better than that. But at the very least, you know, we can at least say my mom and dad are valuable because of who they are in God's eyes. And they're also valuable because they gave me life. I'm here because of them. And so he says, we, we begin there by honoring our parents, and then we start to honor others as we move out. Friends, um, we live in a culture where kids divorce their parents. We, we live in a culture where, where parents abandon their kids like they don't lead their kids. We live in a culture where little ones are taught to disrespect authority. I remember several years ago talking with a friend who's a kindergarten teacher, kindergarten, and she said she had a kindergartner come up to her, little girl, say, my mommy told me I don't have to listen to you. There's something terribly wrong with that picture, friends. We're not teaching our children well. We're teaching them disrespect. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a time in my own life. I was in third grade, and uh, my, my buddy Steve Cook and I were making fun of this girl. Her name was Renee James, and, and if Renee, if you're watching this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but Steve Cook and I were making fun of Renee, and uh, hey, we were in third grade. It was a long time ago, and we got sent to the principal's office as a result. And I'll never forget, Steve and I, we go down, we're sitting there, and, and Mr. Westfall, he's the principal, and he, and he sits behind his desk, and so he, he, he's here, his desk is here, and then Steve and I are sitting in chairs in front of the desk, and, and Mr. Westfall is just kind of leaning over the desk, looking down at us, you know, we were like we were in the judgment of God, it was scary, and Mr. Westfall, he leans over on his desk with his arms crossed, and and he, and he gives it like a, a power pause just for effect. And he just waits a minute in silence, awkward. Steve and I are looking at him. And then he goes, Doug, Steve, I know your parents. Your parents would not be very happy if they heard about your behavior today, would they? And Steve and I looked at him. No, Mr. Westfall. <laughs> he said, don't let me ever hear you doing this again. 
okay, Mr. Westfall. And he marched us out of his office, back down to the classroom. And you know what? It worked. Why did it work? It didn't work because Steve and I were such little angels. It worked because we were taught to honor our parents and we were taught to honor others in authority. It worked because we recognized Mr. Westfall's authority and we recognized our parents' authority and we saw him working in conjunction with them and we knew we better shape up or it was over. You see, if we're going to restore honor back into our culture, we need to restore honor back into our homes. We need parents to be parents. We need parents who lead their homes. Parents, if you teach your children to honor you as their parents, they will love you as a byproduct. But if you try to be your kid's buddy and you win their love, let me warn you, you'll get neither their love nor their honor. Honor's not something you demand. Let me make it clear. I'm not at all suggesting that you're some dictator in your house. That's not at all what this is. Honor needs to be something that it's part of the culture in your home. It begins, it begins dads, with how you treat your kid's mother. It begins, moms, by how you treat your kid's dads. It begins, it begins with parents, how you, how you value your kids. Remember, you listen. We talk. We listen. We understand. We develop a culture of honor in our homes. We teach our children to respect those in authority over them. Friends, um, this leads then to the question of, well, how, how do we teach honor? How do we build honor in our homes? How do we build honor in our society? How does this work? You know, I got to be honest, it's not necessarily rocket science, but the Bible definitely gives us some practical things. One of the ways that we can build, we've, we've talked about them here in this message even, I mean, some of it is just listening. You know, you, you honor somebody just by being willing to listen to them and have a conversation with them. Like, that's one way to honor a person. You, you honor other people by treating them like humans, not refusing to dehumanize them and label them and hashtag them and insisting that I want to treat you like a, another fellow human being made in the image of God. Like, this is part of honoring one another. Psalms chapter 50, verse 23, it says, we honor God by giving thanks to him. I think that's kind of cool makes sense because we honor God. When we give thanks to God, we recognize, first of all, that he's God, that he's the provider, and that he has given to us. He provides for us. And so I give thanks to him. It's a way of honoring God in my life. I included this one just because I thought it was so neat, but we honor the elderly by standing in their presence. This is what Leviticus chapter 19, verse 32 says. And like I said, I wasn't quite sure how this all fit in, but I just thought this was such a cool verse, and we don't, we don't ever really talk about it. But here's what it says. Stand up in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. Isn't that interesting? 
Scripture commands us that when someone walks into the room who is older than we are, that we stand up in respect and honor of that person. Isn't that interesting? It's just, it, it's, it's not a huge act, but it's a way to simply demonstrate honor. I'm recognizing the presence of this important person who's just walked into the room. It's kind of cool. You know, like I, I, it kind of reminds me, like I know, you know, my mom and dad, they taught me to always talk to adults by Mr. and Mrs. I was never allowed to address adults by their first name, even when those adults told me to do it. Like they would give me permission, oh, call me, call me Fred. And I'd be like, ah, you know, okay, Mr. So-and-so. Because my mom and dad, they, they kind of drilled that into me. Mr. To this day, I'm 54 years old, there's still people that I can't call by their first name. They're Mr. They're Mrs. That's just how I know them. There's something about that, friends, that, that instills that sense of honor for other people in us, and we need to bring it back. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. I won't take the time to read the whole thing, but it gives us a list of things, literally practical things that we can do to demonstrate honor to other people. Things like, things like offering hospitality, that demonstrates honor. Things like um, blessing others, mourning with others. Like when I enter into someone else's grief, I honor that person by grieving with them, uh, by not taking revenge, by being careful to do what's right. I mean, it's, it's an awesome list, and I would encourage you to go look at Romans 12, 9 through 21, Go through with a fine-tooth comb and bring application of it in your own life. But the best way that I know how to illustrate honor is by seeing it lived out in the life of another person. And this brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I just want to take a few moments and take a look at the life of a man by the name of Uriah, and he's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. While you're looking that up, let me set it up for us. Many of us probably know this story as the dark blot on King David's life, because in this story, King David is not the hero. He's a total zero. Now, there are other stories where David's the hero. Hey, he, he kills Goliath with a sling and a stone. David's a hero. David honors the memory of his best friend Jonathan. David's a hero. David bows before Abigail. He's a hero. There's a lot of stories where David's a hero, but in this story, David is an absolute scumbag. And there's another man named Uriah who is the hero. Verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 11, tells us this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Right away, you see, uh-oh, there's something wrong. In the spring, normally when kings go out to war, David should have been out in the battlefield with his guys. And instead, David decides he's going to stay back at the palace, kind of chill, take a relax, you know, just kind of take it easy for a little while. And here's David. He's back in the palace doing this. And it says that he's out on the rooftop of his palace. The story continues. On a cool night, he looks down and he creeps on this woman who's taking a bath. 
The woman turns out to be Uriah's wife. Now, Uriah is a man of honor. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 39, Uriah is listed as one of David's mighty men. It's an elite list of 37 men who stood out above all the rest of the men in the military for their, exp- for their strength, for their um, character, you know, for their courage. Like these guys are the best of the best of the best. And Uriah is on that list, which would have made him not just a hero in Israel, but also one of David's very closest guys. And David is creeping on Uriah's wife while Uriah is in the battlefield fighting for David. Like I said, David's a complete zero in this story. So David, uh, he likes what he sees, and he calls her up, and they get together, and she ends up getting pregnant. And so David seeks to cover up his crime, his sin, and this brings us to verse 6. It says, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Okay, stop, can you just picture that for a quick second? Come on, talk about awkward conversations, okay? David got the guy's wife pregnant, and now he's like just making small talk with him. So Uriah, how's it going? Everything good, the weather great? I mean, talk about a really awkward conversation. That's David, verse eight. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. It's so cheesy, you you see that, completely cheesy. David's sending a basket of fruit with Uriah. I mean, come on. Okay. But Uriah, look at what Uriah does in verse 9. Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told, Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, Pay careful attention. Look at these words. The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. That's key. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah delivers this letter that was sealed from the king to Joab, and the letter contained basically his death sentence. Can you imagine what a low life David was at that moment? 
But as we look at this example, you see Uriah, his honor is painted in stark contrast to David's dishonor. And there's a couple of things that we can pick up about honor just from Uriah's example here. The first thing you'd see is that honor is selfless. Uriah's comments to David in verse 11 reveal a lot about his heart. Uriah's thinking, I could not enjoy the simple pleasure of going home and spending a nice evening with my wife. I can't do that when I know that, that the ark is out there and, and my commander is out there and all my guys are out there. Like, I, I can't do that. You know, I can't enjoy this simple pleasure for myself knowing that they are still at battle. And so Uriah is selflessly giving up a pleasure that he could enjoy for the sake of remaining in solidarity with his guys who are out there on the field. It's amazing. Uriah is living for something much bigger than himself. And this is what a man or a woman of honor does. They look for ways to honor others in their behavior. The second thing you see about honor is honor is submitted. Notice in verse 11, Uriah says, As surely as you live, O king. You see that? So Uriah is not swearing by his own life. He's swearing by the king's life. So what's going on with that? Why? You see, Uriah was appealing to the king's greater authority, and he was submitting to it. It's kind of like Uriah was actually more committed to honoring the king than the king was. You see, David is already compromised, isn't he? He's already compromised, he's already tainted, and now David is actually trying to draw Uriah into the compromise, and, and he's willing to mess the whole thing up in order to hide his own sin, and, and yet Uriah is like, no, I esteem you, king, I esteem you too much to diminish your royalty by indulging this request. That's what he's saying. So Uriah is, he's submitted to the king and to the honor of the king, and he wasn't willing to, to, to take this pleasure in order to, in, you know, to indulge himself and to diminish the value of the king. You know, if you're trying to get me to do something wrong, I value you too highly to do it. Boy, now that's a good reason to say no to sin, isn't it? You know, I know one of the, one of the reasons why I do not view pornography. I value my wife. I value our marriage. See, in honor of her and in honor of what we have, I don't engage in this. Does this make sense? You see, and this is actually submission. I'm submitted to something greater than myself. Honor is submitted. Third thing, honor runs deep. Duty runs deep. You notice that whether Uriah was sober or drunk, he did the same thing. Isn't that interesting? That David tried to get Uriah drunk and lower his inhibitions so that Uriah would do what David wanted him to do. And yet he still couldn't do it, even getting Uriah drunk. He couldn't make Uriah do it. Why? Because honor ran through Uriah's blood in his veins. And regardless of what condition his mind was in, Uriah was going to behave in an honorable 
way. Isn't that something? Even against the king's own permission. I think that's fascinating. The king gave Uriah permission to break his commitment to the men on the battlefield. And Uriah says, I, I can't do that, king. And even when Uriah is drunk, he doesn't do it. That's how deep it ran in Uriah's bones. My question, friends, for you is, how deep does honor run in your life? How deep does honor run in my veins? Uriah was not committed because everybody else was committed. Uriah was not honorable because it was popular. Listen, a man of honor doesn't do things because they're popular. They do things because they're right. Some might think it didn't do Uriah any good to be a man of honor. You might go, well, hey, a lot of good it did him. It got him killed. And you're right. His honor got him killed. But I think you can even draw from that. It's better to die with honor than it is to live in shame. Uriah went to the grave with his integrity intact. I guess the question for you and me is, are we going to be men and women of honor? You know, right now, the racism is the hot topic. What will it be next week? Oh, tune into CNN and find out. They'll tell you what the next hot topic is going to be. It's, it's going to be great, I'm sure, you know. It's, listen, friends, the deal is this. Your honor is not revealed in that hot topic. It's revealed in how you live your daily life. It's revealed in how you've been living your daily life and how you will continue living your daily life long after the hot topic has moved on to something else. When the media moves on to the next hot topic, the question is, will you continue to bridge the racial divide or will you move on with the next hot topic? Friends, a man or woman of honor remains unchanged by the winds of the culture. A man or woman of honor will continue to do what's right because that's what's right, regardless of whether or not it's being highlighted at the moment. Reminds me, several years ago, there was a devastating earthquake that struck the small nation of Haiti. You probably remember it. And for a little while, Haiti was the hot topic. Everybody was talking about them. And you got movie stars putting on special fundraisers to raise money for Haiti. And you got former presidents flying down there for photo ops. And, and you've got uh, politicians arguing about what to do. And, and you got everybody talking about Haiti. Everybody was concerned for the people of Haiti. But do you know who was actually going to work to serve Haiti? And who's actually still there serving Haiti? Missionaries. The church of Jesus Christ is down there with the Haitian people, getting her hands dirty, serving food, building shelters, providing medical care, helping to rebuild that people and that nation. They're still to this day working there. You understand the cameras have moved on. They've, there's been dozens of hot topics between that and now. But the faithful people of God have been serving him 
in an honorable way in that island ever since, regardless. And my simple point is a man or woman of honor behaves the way that they do, not because it's the latest hot topic, but because it's simply the right thing to do. Men of honor, women of honor, we do what needs to be done because God calls us to do it. And right now our culture is crying out to heal the racial divide. And we hold the answer. We don't do them good by condemning. We don't do them good by dividing ourselves. We do them the best good by serving them and illustrating what honor looks like in our relationships and in our lives. We have this golden opportunity given to us to restore honor in our culture. And the real test of our grit, friend, is not what we're going to do right now, but the real test is what we've been doing and what we will continue to be doing long after the cameras have moved on. The truth is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we believe our, with all of our hearts that every man and every woman, every human being is created from the very heart of God, that he saw them before he ever created the world, and that's what gives people value. And we honor them because God values them. And he's given you and me, he's positioned us with this unique opportunity to, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to restore honor in relationships, to bring reconciliation. Friends, let's you and me be like Uriah. Let's show up. Let's show up. May we represent Jesus well in our world this week. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.